Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show. Patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Donald Trump goes to Pennsylvania for a big campaign rally and endorses himself. What do you say, folks? Typical Trump move. Forgot all about the Republican candidate up there. How about it? Great to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you had a great weekend. Got some uh, relaxed time with your friends and family and are ready to jump back into all the news of the day. And there is lots and lots going on. That's our job to tell you what's going on. Your job to tell us what you think about it all here. It's called The Bill Press Show. We come to you live for the next couple of hours online, on television and on the radio with the news of the day. Whether it's happening right here in Washington, D.C., that's where you find us, our little studio in Capitol Hill, happening all around the rest of the country or around the globe, we'll tell you what's going on. The latest on North Korea. Will there be talks or will there not be talks? It's still not really clear. Stormy Daniels won't go away. Yeah, the third nor'easter banging the North Coast. But it's Stormy Daniels that's banging and slamming the White House every day. And uh, she taped an interview with Anderson Cooper for 60 Minutes. Reportedly, the White House is now trying to get an injunction against CBS to block the airing of that interview. Democratic National Committee came to town this week and did nothing about superdelegates, even though they've been talking about it for over a year And we're all gearing up for that special congressional election in Pennsylvania tomorrow. Go, Connor Lamb. Lots to talk about. Send us your comments on the news of the day, whether we're talking about it or not, your comments on what's going on on Twitter, at BP Show. Your turn coming up next, but first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. A new study is out, Bill, to take a look at the drunkest states in America. Now, before you take a guess as to which states are the drunkest, here is what the uh, the people who put this out, 24-7 Wall Street, here's how they got their answer. Yeah. They reviewed the percentage of men and women over the age of 18 who report binge drinking or heavy drinking. Excessive alcohol consumption, according to the Centers for Disease Control, includes binge drinking and heavy drinking. So the people that report it the most in America? Louisiana. Louisiana is a good guess, but is not number one. Number one is 
North Dakota. What? North Dakota. Well, I mean, look, if you think about it, well, there's not a lot else to do out there except no, no, for no. Drake. If I lived in North Dakota, I'd be drunk. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you don't have a whole lot of other stuff to do. Uh, followed by uh, Wisconsin was the second in the nation. The lowest amount of the lowest uh, drinking Utah. In, the, in the state? Tennessee, actually. Huh. They point out that Utah, which is 48th, actually does have a pretty, like, vibrant craft beer scene that they're working with down there. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. uh, the, the the lowest drinking in the nation is Tennessee. So there you go. Uh, by the way, you've heard, and we've even talked about it on the show, that McDonald's has gotten healthier over the years. Well, that might not exactly be true. New company. It's not true. A new study called Action on Sugar says that the amount of sugar is up three times than what it originally was at McDonald's. The levels of protein have fallen in most of their burgers and about by a fifth in their chicken nuggets. Now, why would that be, Bill? Well, sugar, of course, is a preservative. They just cram it in, and they're putting in other fillers besides actual, you know, beef in their burgers. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just, like, becoming this weird hybrid burger of some meat, some filler, and it's all the claims that they're making about how healthier it's getting. Not exactly the the truth, it looks like. One more reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. No one more reason not to eat there. They they say that uh, while they say that they're trying to reduce uh, foods high in sugar, salt, and saturated fat, it's only gotten worse over the years. So stay away. Stay away. How about five guys? They're healthier? I don't think so. Tell me they're healthier. But I don't think they're claiming to be, at least. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. On a big Monday, March 12. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. So great to see you today. We're looking good out there. What do you know? As we move into this second week of March with lots of news going on, a lot of carryover from last week because things are unresolved. But uh, isn't that the story? Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the way it is around the Trump White House and Trump's America? On this Monday, we welcome you to the Bill Press Show as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with all the news of the day. And we will tell you what's going on. You tell us what you think about it all. We join you, of course, every way we can online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Joining you on Free Speech TV as well, out there in TV land and on the radio, State of Indiana, Indiana Talks, and the entire Chicago, Illinois area on the great WCPT. And again, I'm coming out to Chicago with my new book, From the Left, on April 4 at the Frugal Muse Bookstore in Darien, Illinois. I want to see all of you out there. You're going to be hearing a lot more about it. Uh, over the next few weeks. And we got the team here assembled to bring you the news of the day. Don't forget, we always want to hear from you what you think about what's going on by sending sending us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. And Friday, it was the big news that dominated everything, including most of this show. Donald Trump just suddenly agreeing without any planning ahead of time at a meeting in the Oval Office with a foreign minister from South Korea who relayed a willingness from Kim Jong-un 
or a desire from Kim Jong-un to sit down and talk with the president of the United States, Donald Trump said, yeah, let's do it. We're going to do it. He staged a big announcement out in the West Wing driveway for the South Korean ambassador to make this uh, to make this announcement. He said, we're going to do it, and we're going to do it before the month of May. Well, then, experts from foreign policy experts, North Korean, South Korean experts all around the world certainly saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you going to get for this? Why are you giving him the big meeting with the president, with the president of the United States until you have made some deals ahead of time or talked about what might come out of that meeting ahead of time? And suddenly, so then the White House over the weekend is starts backing down. Well, you know, um, he's got to agree to total denuclearization before we're going to sit down, which he's okay. never going to okay. do. First of all, by the way, that's not how negotiations work. No. You don't say, you don't I have a list away. of demands. And then come back. And then come back to negotiate. Right. That's just not, how, that's, that, that's not negotiating. No. no. So now I got to tell you, as we sit here today, I'm not sure. Peter, you said this from the first second we heard this news. This meeting will never happen. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I'm less sure it's going to happen now. Yeah. Again, if it is just a photo op, Kim Jong-un is the big winner. In fact, I'd say he's already the big winner in this exchange because he got the president of the United States to say, yeah, I'll sit down with you. No preconditions. Just sit down with you as an equal. And remember, no world leader has ever yet been willing to do that, to sit down with little rocket man. And after calling him names for a year and a half, Donald Trump has said that he would um, <clears throat> without any preliminary planning or whatever. Uh, it's, it's you know what, it's like everything else around the Trump White House. It starts here and it ends up nothing. Yeah. Right. It's you know. It's I, I've been thinking about this a lot over the weekend. Like it, how screwed up this was from the get go. Right. Because <laughs> if you think about it, right, the Trump administration did not make this announcement. They just sort of let the uh, South Korean official come yeah, out and make that yeah. announcement while Trump wasn't even there. Which, like, what a mistake that was. Imagine if that had gone the wrong way, or imagine losing control of that narrative, which I, I think that they. Yeah. Did, no, they right? sent him out to the driveway. You go out and announce this. Right. Not the press secretary, not the secretary of state who was in Africa, you know, not the chief of staff. Right. Not the president or the vice president. Just imagine like the number of ways that could have gone wrong. Some guy who's not even American right. is announcing a major initiative for the president of the United States. Yeah. And and look Whatever, right? Like, I, I don't think that meeting with Kim Jong-un is necessarily the worst thing in the world for any other president, but I don't think it's a very safe one for Donald Trump. But, look, this is not some new thing. They've asked every president since yeah. Bill Clinton to come yeah. and meet with them. And they've all just kind of said no. And I think someone, probably from North Korea, put in the ear of Donald Trump, hey, look, you're the you're the deal maker. You're President Deals. Yeah. Come over here and come meet with mm-hmm. us. We, 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 you're the only one that can get this done. And he probably just ate that up and said, yes, of course. And then now he has all these people that are coming back to him and saying, wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. Wait a minute. And so now they're having to walk it back. Like you said, they started way up here on this high of I'm going to go meet with them. And now they're having to change everything. And, you know, Bill Richardson, whom I trust on North Korea more than anyone else, former governor of New Mexico, former energy secretary for pardon me, for Bill Clinton, and who has been on diplomatic missions to North Korea, 
probably a dozen times, has said, and he was I saw him several times over the weekend. In fact, I emailed, was emailing with him, um, that you just can't trust these guys. You can't trust the guys. So what you do, certainly you have to do, is send some people in ahead of time to know where they're coming from, to know what might happen before you expose the president of the United States to that a risky, risky uh, environment. Look, hope they succeed. Hope it works. Just have my doubts that it will ever happen, and if it does happen, uh, that it will turn out to be um, for the good. Meanwhile, Donald Trump, he's got to get out on the campaign trail. You know, we see, we've said this so many times. Donald Trump did not want to be elected. He just wanted to keep campaigning. And the minute he was elected, ever since, ever since he was elected, ever since he was sworn into office, certainly, he has been campaigning. He formed his campaign re-election committee within the first couple of months of the Trump administration, before any other president ever, ind- ever even indicated whether they would run for re-election. I, I mean, remember he gave he gave some speech a couple of months after he was uh, became president, and it was the rally was paid for by the re-elect Trump twenty twenty yeah, right, campaign. It's right. like what? No, 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 I mean you sort of assume that a president gets elected, he's going to want to get reelected. They all do, right? But you know you don't make it like you don't start the wheels rolling. You don't start raising money. You don't make a big deal of it the way Donald Trump has from the beginning. So there's a special election. Uh, Congressional District 18, which ceases to exist in about a month, up in Pennsylvania, Democrat Connor Lamb is scaring the hell out of Republican Rick Saccone. Connor Lamb could really win this seat. It's a blue-collar, working-class Republican district, but blue-collar, working-class voters who did go for Donald Trump because they didn't think Hillary was speaking to them. But the steel, these are steel workers. These are steel mills. And they know that in the long run, even though he did these tariffs, Donald Trump is no friend of organized labor. So Donald Trump goes up there Saturday, for the Friday or Saturday, for the big rally for Rick Saccone. And what does he do? He talks for 75 minutes before he even introduces Rick Saccone. He turned it into a campaign rally for... Me. What else? Me. Right. It's all about Donald Trump. In fact, he said, maybe he's joking. Maybe I like this job so much. I could keep this job forever, just like President Xi just did in China. I was at a a roast, actually, but I was joking and I said, huh, president for life. That sounds good. Maybe we're going to have to try it. President for life. But I'm joking. But I'm joking. President for life and so huh. he's yeah. Huh. He's, huh. he's got his new campaign uh organized. He's got he's raising money. He's got his official organization, and now he even has a new slogan. Keep America great exclamation point. Keep America great. Okay, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to give him too much credit here, right? For actually having yeah, thought right. this through. But a year uh, and a half ago, the slogan was "Make America Great, great again. again." It's already great now. In a year and a half, uh-huh. he has made 
made America great, exclamation point, mm-hmm. and now he can run around and yeah. Yeah. and say that's that keep America great. That like, uh, uh, I know. It's why do so, I try and figure this out? Why do people fall for why, it? This, uh, honestly, why Seriously. do people fall for this? Yeah. Um, by the way, um, I think he might ask Jeb Bush how good those exclamation points. Exclamation point. Right? (laughs) That's a good point. I forgot about that. Jeb. Exclamation point. Jeb. Jeb. (laughs) Right. Exclamation point. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, And at the rally, Donald Trump also went out of his way. Um, He, you know, he's got to slam the media, and he did, and he made cracks about the media, and um, had people turn around and boo the media and talked about CNN. And then he takes on Chuck Todd, host of Meet the Press, in a very personal way. You ever see the story where I'm, it's 1999, I'm on Meet the Press, a show now headed by Sleepy Eyes Chuck Todd. He's a sleeping son of a bitch, I'll tell you. I mean, what is this with him? I mean... He called the NFL players, right, those sons of bitches. Get those sons of bitches off the field. Calling the host of Meet the Press, Chuck Todd, who's a good guy, by the way. But, you know, Chris Wallace or Sean Hannity or whatever, the president of the United States should not be in front of a campaign crowd calling people sons of bitches. I mean, come on. And, and again, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, all these guys— and that crowd of yahoos up in Pennsylvania, they all love this stuff. You know, I, I thought that Chuck Todd's response to this was pretty interesting where he said, you know, look, I have kids and I've always taught my kids, no matter who yeah. the president is, yeah. you have to respect the office, which, first of all, I disagree with. <laughs> like, well, no, res- I, disagree, I disagree with you on that. Respect the office? Yes. Not anymore. No, not with <laughs> Trump. No, like well, we, I have this conversation with my kids all the he time. He has trashed the office. There's no doubt about it. I but think I the still, office is totally I still trash. respect the office. I, I hear what you're saying, right? Yeah, and, I, you know, and, I, and I hear what you're I want to, to respect the office. But that's my point. At what point do you have to actually tell your kids, you know what? Look, we elected this guy, and this is yeah. one uh, previously thought of as one of the most sacred offices in the land. Like, yeah. what are we doing? Yeah. This is, I mean, it's a clown in there right now. So, what respect should we have for that office? And it's. Certainly, you can say he has zero respect for the office. That's yeah, absolutely. and he shows zero respect for the office with a statement like that. And again, so I know Sarah Huckabee Sanders today is going to say he's just joking. Yeah, yeah, he, he's just kidding. Yep. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, Senator Jeff Flake was uh, actually on with Chuck Todd yesterday, talking about these attacks on the media, and they do. Look, it's not that we're that thin-skinned. I mean, God knows. <laughs> you can't be in this business and be thin-skinned and survive. So it's not that you can't criticize people in the media. But again, that kind of language is over the line. And these constant attacks, enemy of the people, those constant attacks do have an impact. Here's Jeff Flake. He's done this before. He referred to the press of the, as the enemy of the people. Mm-hmm. He stood next to uh, Duterte, as Duterte referred to the press as spies, and laughed. Um, and it has an effect. Words matter. Uh, we have a record number of journalists being jailed overseas. And a record number of journalists being killed last year. Uh, and this, there are more and more d- 
dictators around the world, strongmen around the world, uh, Erdogan in Turkey and, uh, and, and others, who have picked up Donald Trump's rhetoric word for word and said, we've jailed these journalists because they are the enemy of the people, which is a phrase, of course, that Joseph Stalin used. Yeah. I want to play the second clip from Jeff Flake, too, because he was, again, right there next to Sleepy Eyes Chuck Todd on Meet the Press. Uh, and he talked about the dangers of this type of uh, yeah. language. The risk is is that be- this becomes normalized. Mm-hmm. And, and we take as normal what is abnormal. We should never normalize this kind of behavior, particularly from the president of the United States. And that's the thing, like, like, well like no. Chuck Todd yeah. or not, yeah. okay? No. Put, put that aside. He is one of the loudest voices on, like, reporting on the, the political uh, uh, situation here in America, right? No matter which side of the, yeah. the aisle yeah. you're on, okay? So to have the president of the United States, someone who is being covered, come out and call him a sleeping son of a bitch. Right, yeah. And for the Republicans to go, oh, he's just joking around. Oh, he's just messing around. What happens when it escalates? Right? What happens when these things get, when these attacks get worse? Uh, and by the way, I've known Chuck a long time. Chuck is not a partisan journalist in any way. No. Right? He's a damn good reporter, did a damn good job at the White House when he was chief White House correspondent for, for NBC News, and I think does a really good job as host of Meet the Press. I know him back when he was working for the hotline, a young reporter for the hotline. Uh, at any rate, no matter who he is, right, again, even Sean Hannity, the president of the United States, should not be out there calling him a son of a bitch. I mean, again, some sense of decency at the White House. <clears throat> I guess we <clears throat> should know never to expect it from Donald Trump. Again, imagine, if, I mean, we can't do this all the time, but imagine if Barack Obama imagine or Barack any Obama. other president yeah. called Chris Wallace. Who, for the most part, is not, I mean, he doesn't subscribe to the ideology of most of the Fox hosts, yeah, right? Yeah, But he does Fox News Sunday. Imagine if Barack Obama called him a son of a bitch. Just, I mean, just think about that. Just think about that. Right. Meanwhile, the White House last night finally came out with what it wants to see in terms of gun safety. Uh, they had the big meeting at the White House. Donald Trump's been talking about it. You know, we can't just do stuff that makes us feel good, he said. We have to real tough action. It's nothing. This is less than Florida did. And what Florida did was a joke. So Betsy DeVos, of all people, announces this is what we're going to do to keep our schools safe. Uh, Again, not the president, Betsy DeVos. Uh, Remember the president said the one thing we're going to do for sure, which was a joke. But still, we're going to do it. We're going to raise the age limit from 18 to 21 to buy an assault rifle. And then he had this special meeting that was not on his schedule with uh, with Wayne LaPierre, the head of the uh, NRA, came out and said they had a good meeting. No, they had a great meeting. And sure enough, the president has now dropped that. That is not part of the of the White House plan. Again, that's hardly good enough. It's not anywhere near what it should be. But White House saying no age limit. No ban on assault rifles. What they're going to do is give states money to give schools so that they can train more people and have more teachers and school personnel in schools with guns. That's And that is something the NRA has always wanted. And they're going to appoint a blue ribbon commission <clears throat> to study the problem of school violence and make some suggestions about what we should do about it. 
This is one day after in Pennsylvania, Donald Trump said, we don't need any more blue ribbon commissions because they don't do anything. All they do is talk. The next day, the White House announces a blue ribbon commission on gun safety. It's such a joke. It is such a non-response to a very, very serious problem in this country. So, And remember how... I don't want to say engaged because I don't think he's ever really been engaged. But remember how the, at this meeting that he had yeah, with all these lawmakers, yeah. how progressive his stance was on guns. I mean, the age limit thing was a gimme almost. He was talking at that meeting about a ban on assault rifles. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the age, he was just like, we're going to raise the age. We're going to raise the age. Even yesterday that was, morning. That was done. Yeah. Totally. Even yesterday morning, they had uh, uh, Raj Shah out there, the deputy yep. uh, press secretary, who was saying, yeah, age limits are definitely going to be a part of this. The president has been clear that he does support raising the age of tw- to 21. That's federal uh, policy. For certain firearms. That was yesterday morning. In the morning. In the evening, no, we changed our mind. Like 10 hours later, it completely right. changed. Right, yeah. So anybody who thought... After that big meeting at the White House that Donald Trump was going to take on the NRA, willing to take on the NRA, was going to do anything really meaningful uh, about the question of gun safety in this country. It was, as we said at the time, an opportunity for Donald Trump to be Nixon in China. He could go on gun safety where no other Republican or Democratic president could go because he had the his base. He has all the NRA enthusiasts behind him. He could say, look, this is a problem. We got to go here. You got to go with me. No. Instead, he just caved into them. I think the one thing that we can maybe give him credit on is that he said that he's going to do something about bump stocks by executive order. I haven't I, seen it yet. I don't believe that so much anymore. I haven't seen it. I don't believe it so much anymore. Right. I know we we like he he's been very out there on it and saying this is one thing he's going to get done. And by the way, that's. That should be a gimme, too. Totally. You shouldn't even get any credit for doing that. (laughs) Machine guns are banned under under even under the Second Amendment, uh, thanks to the Supreme Court. Um, So basically reiterating that machine guns are not acceptable um, is is hardly a bold move on the part of uh, Donald Trump. Just a couple of other things in the news you'll be interested to know. Now we know the. the real story behind the hacking into the DNC and any uh, question about interference in the 2016 election. Robert Mueller is investigating that. We all thought it was the Russians. No, Vladimir Putin has said it was not us. It was probably, this is Vladimir Putin saying, these were American Jews and minorities in this country that were trying to undermine our election wasn't Russia. It was Jews and minorities. And meanwhile, we, on Friday, we got the um, job reports for the month of um, February, March. This is March. February. They were surprisingly very, very strong. 313,000 new jobs. The unemployment record rate staying at 4.1%. Anything under 5% is, continue, is considered maximum employment in this country. So that is very, very good news for the American economy. By the way, that is 89 straight months of positive job growth. All under President Trump, right? Right. <clears throat> so it just proves that Obamanomics, Obama economics is working. What do we had? 14 months, right? Yeah. 
75 under President Obama, 14 under <laughs> Donald Trump. So thank you, Donald Trump, for keeping the Obama economy going. <laughs> Meanwhile, there is one problem that the White House cannot shake. And the way they're going at it, it just keeps getting worse and worse. She is knocking on the door of the White House. Her name is Stormy Daniels. And the latest is that her attorney, late last week, filed a lawsuit or filed a, uh, a motion to, to get a judge to rule that the hush agreement reached between Stormy Daniels and Donald Trump that she would not talk about her affair with him um, is invalid because he never signed the document. Then Stormy Daniels sat down with an interview for 60 Minutes with Anderson Cooper. That report, reportedly was not, it's, it's, it's in the can. They've done it. There's a picture of her and Anderson Cooper out on viral. Uh, <clears throat> CBS says they never scheduled it for last night, and they haven't yet scheduled when it will appear. In the meantime, there are reports, according to Stormy Daniels' attorney, that the White House is considering filing an injunction to block CBS from ever airing that interview. So here we got, folks, what's going on, right? The president of the United States, we know from Sarah Huckabee Sanders last week, well, we know before that, his attorney paid Stormy Daniels $130,000 as part of a hush money agreement. That was about a year ago. In fact, it was. Ten days before the election in October 2016. Now we know that just last week, Sarah Huckabee Sanders let the cat out of the bag. They were in arbitration against with her to kind of, again, get her to agree not to talk about any details of this affair. Now the White House is considering an injunction against CBS to get them to block ever interviewing uh, airing an interview with Anderson Cooper where she talks about this affair with Donald Trump. You have the president of the United States on three different occasions now trying to silence a porn star because of an affair that went on reportedly for over a year. How many people still think this never happened? Yeah, I mean... I mean, why would they go to this length, Right. If it never happened. The fact that now the White House uh, uh, press machine, right, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and everybody else, has now turned this their reaction to this to, well, this is a private matter that we're not going to discuss. Then you know that you got something serious because these guys are masters at manipulating the truth. Like like no other press shop we've ever seen. And so the fact that they can't even come up with something that – wiggles out of this problem that they just have to say, well, this is a private matter. We can't comment on this. Right. That means it's serious. And again, it was a, a, reportedly, right, it was a consensual affair. We're not talking about sexual assault. She even says he didn't do demand anything kinky or kind of whatever. But so if we're not talking maybe so much the morality of it here as the political damage that should fall on a president of the United States who is making payments through his attorney to a porn star not to talk about an affair and then lying about it. Charles Blow in the New York Times this morning just goes through, I'll do this very quickly because we've got to move on, goes through the timeline of how all this 
worked with his relationship with Melania. <clears throat> Listen to the April twenty April two thousand four. He proposes to Melania. January twenty five. They get married. Nine months later, the Access Hollywood tape comes out. Six months after that tape is recorded, little Baron Trump is born. And four months after Baron Trump is born, porn star Stephanie Clifford, also known as Stormy Daniels, alleges that she and Donald Trump began an affair at this celebrity golf tournament in Lake Tahoe, which lasted all through 2006 and into 2007. And that's the story that you know one way or the other uh, is going to come out. Uh, has come out in In Touch magazine originally, but is not going to go away. And the White House is making it even more difficult to get that to get uh, behind that story, to get ahead of that story. So, <clears throat> Peter, one more time. The last time for today, we're going to say, <clears throat> just imagine if Barack Obama had paid a porn star $130,000 not to talk. Yeah. How soon would the impeachment hearings have begun? Oh, he'd be out of office already. <laughs> right? Would have run him out. Yeah, absolutely. Would have run him out. Meanwhile, we know a lot about what's going on down at the White House. One thing we don't know, and we're going to find out more about in the next half hour, is what's Donald Trump doing about secret military missions around the globe? What's going on out there that we don't know about where American armed forces are being sent and where we are using killer drones? International Legal Counsel for the Human Rights First Organization, Rita Simeon, joins us next. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. And on a Monday, March 12, hello, everybody. Welcome back. To the Bill Press Show, coming to you live from Washington, D.C. If you were anywhere near Washington, I would uh, invite you to stop by today. But the truth of it is, um, you can't get in our house. You can't get in the front door of our house today. We got 12 boxes of books delivered on uh, Friday. 12 boxes of copies of my new book, From the Left which doesn't come out until next week. But these are the boxes for all of you who have ordered an advanced copy. Uh, And uh, I hope one of them in there is for you. I'm going to sign them all and ship them out as soon as we can. If your order is not already there, if if a book, one of those books there is not for you, then get busy. Go to our website, BillPressShow.com. You can get an advanced signed copy 40% 40% off for the low price of $16.79. We'll ship it out to you right away. <clears throat> Blurbs on here by from Bernie Sanders and Nancy Pelosi, Jerry Brown, and a whole lot of other friends, including, <clears throat> believe it or not, Ann Coulter. Um, so right and left, love this book. Get your copy from the left, Life in the Crossfire. Go to BillPressShow.com and um, sign up. Order your copy or 10 or 12. Meanwhile... We've been at it uh, on the news of the day for a little bit here, and you are responding. We'd love to hear from you. Peter, what's going on? Yes, indeed. We are on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Tom weighs in on the uh, gun 
legislation that we're seeing come forward from the Trump administration. So you mean the lack of? The lack of gun legislation. Uh, Tom says Trump is afraid of the NRA. He is nothing more than an empty barrel. Uh, NC Nomad says, I agree. I don't respect Trump or the office of the presidency anymore as long as he's in it. Uh, and KG says, <laughs> Sleepy Eyes Chuck Todd and his pals in the media helped create this Trump monster. Karma is a bitch. You can give us a comment on any topic at any time at BP Show on Twitter. Sadly, that is true in two ways, at least. One, he is a creature of national television. Um, wouldn't be president if it were not for his time on The Apprentice. And two, the media gave him so much attention and coverage in the campaign compared to all the other candidates that they did, in fact, create, I believe, the Trump switch. This is pretty chilling. Last October... Donald Trump said, I have totally changed the rules of engagement. I totally changed our military. Yeah, well, what does that mean? What new engagements are out there that we don't know about? Here's an organization called Human Rights First that is on top of it. Rita Simeon is their international legal counsel for Human Rights First and joins us in studio. Rita, it's nice to see you. Nice to see you. Good morning. Thank you for coming in. Whatever happened to human rights? Well, uh, there's still a thing, I'd like to think. <laughs> One would hope. One would hope. One would hope. But, um, I mean, I remember when Jimmy Carter was president. I mean, it was long before I came to Washington. But he made human rights a centerpiece of American foreign policy. And he was kind of ridiculed for that, saying, you know, this just proves that we're soft or whatever. Is it still... Uh, an element in American foreign policy? You know, I mean, I I, I like to think so. Uh, it's certainly a challenge right now. And, um, you know, there's certainly sort of more space right now for governments who don't care so much about human rights to sort of come out and uh, be proud of that fact. Whereas, um, you know, in the last decade or so, it used to be uh, something that you know, people governments at least claimed that they cared about human rights and then, you know, went and sort of did these things uh, in secret. But um, states appear to be more emboldened now um, to be violating human rights. And part of that, I think, is a lack of leadership from the United States on human rights. Right. I mean, do we even like if we meet with when he meets Donald Trump meets with President Xi or President Erdogan or some of these people that are known, right, to and some of the Latin American leaders just throwing people in jail and disagree with the policies of the government. Do we even raise the issue? Uh, I think I, a, a, occasionally, but um, hear, but it's hard, right? We, even we if, if they pub- raise it, we don't um, hear pub- we don't hear them him raise it publicly. Right, and it, even if he were to raise it, it rings a little bit hollow if our actions don't um, right. match right. the words. Right. So um, this this idea of military engagement has changed the rules of engagement. What are the rules of engagement we're operating under? And like when these four American soldiers were killed in Niger, right? A lot of us said, "Wait a minute, we're in Niger." I mean, right. how many places are we on the globe that we don't know about? Right. Exactly. So I mean, rules. Do you of, know? <laughs> right? oh. So rules of engagement are typically classified. Um, and some locations where uh, we're operating are not known to the public, but it can, you know, it's usually very difficult to hide military action, right? So people can see it. People have smartphones. They take video. There's Twitter. So um, it's pretty difficult to hide um, most of uh, what we're doing. 
what um, is easier to hide is the legal justification or policy changes in sort of, you know, what are the rules of reform? Not necessarily the rules of engagement, but um, what are the legal interpretations and what are the policy restrictions that are in place? And the Obama administration really uh, made a habit out of coming out and providing these long speeches detailing what the legal and policy framework was for military operations. And all of that culminated in this very detailed public um, unclassified report that they put out at the end that said, here's what we're doing. Here's where we're doing it. Here is the law that we think uh, both domestically and internationally that allows us to do it. And here are all these additional policies that we've put in place to protect civilians and limit the use of military force outside of sort of traditional battlefield scenarios. So they put this report out um, and uh, you know issued a memo saying that it should be updated every year. But of course, Obama can't order the next president to do anything. Right, right. Um, so uh, Congress decided that this kind of uh, report was actually a good idea, and they passed a requirement that uh, the Trump administration had to, within 90 days, produce a similar report uh, to the relevant congressional committees saying, you know, what's his legal basis um, for acting? And, and also to detail any changes that um, President Trump has made uh, mm-hmm. in the past year since he took office. Mm-hmm. And when does that report come out? Today. It is due today. Um, the trick, though, is that it's due to Congress, not to the public. And uh, it is supposed to be an unclassified report, but um, it can include a classified annex. So it sort of remains to be seen. It's what due today. Provide. What confidence do you have that they're going to meet the deadline? I don't have any reason to think that it won't be on time. Um, well, my yeah. sense is that they're working on it. Um, and... You know, if they if they if they keep, well, the I don't have any same, confidence that they that they're anywhere close to issuing the report, or they, that they would feel compelled to do so, no matter what Congress said. Yeah, I mean, the law is the law, so they're requ- you know they're required to do it. It's possible uh, it could be late. I think the bigger concern is that um, you know it won't be made available to the public, and that much of what used to be open to the public uh, for us to see what's their legal basis for the missile strikes in Syria, for example, what's the legal basis for the operation in Niger, Uh, what's their legal interpretation that makes them think they could conduct a bloody nose strike against North Korea, Um, what what were the policy changes they made to drone strikes? It's been reported that there were a bunch of changes made to Obama's Mm -hmm. policies, but those haven't been disclosed. Um, I think that the risk is that the public is actually not uh, going to see those changes. Right. That they'll just make it classified. Okay. Now, I don't want to give, um, I don't want to let Obama off the hook too easily because even at the White House press corps, we pushed on this a lot. um, And we've had members of Congress come in and talk about it, Barbara Lee and others, that the Obama administration was still using the authorization for the use, tell me if I'm wrong. The author, the AUMF, Authorization for the Use of Military Force, which was passed in the wake of September 11, right? Right. And they they said that still applied, even though Al Qaeda, for all practical purposes, was gone. Now, so isn't it true that he acted under that until the very end? And is there a new AUMF? So still no new AUMF, and that's exactly right. The Obama administration was still operating on the under the authorization that was passed uh, three days after yeah. 9-11 um, as, and stretching if, it to apply to ISIS, which didn't even exist on 9-11. Right. And stretching it to apply to Libya. I mean, almost anywhere, right? It, uh, it's been stretched pretty far. Yeah. And it was not meant as a an eternal free pass for the president of the United States 
to use military force anywhere he or she decided to do so for whatever reason. No, I mean, the express language of the authorization is that it is meant to be um, going Mm -hmm. after those who are responsible for the 9-11 attacks and those who harbored them and only for the purpose of uh, preventing those groups from Mm -hmm. conducting further attacks against the U.S. So here's one thing I don't understand about that is why don't Republicans and Democrats in Congress, I knew some do, some do, both Republicans and some Democrats, see this as um, as just an abandonment of Congress's constitutional powers. Isn't that that what it is? I think many do. Uh, And, you know, there are a number of challenges uh, and I think reasons why they haven't taken it up. Um, But there are, you know, dozens of members who have been pushing on it. They've drafted legislation. Uh, The challenge is that there are some members of Congress who think that they'd be doing their job by just passing either a broad new open-ended authorization with no time limit, no geographic limits, no restrictions whatsoever, and a really broad authorization to go after, you know, terrorist groups writ large, whereas other members, you know, which which isn't really doing their job, right? That's just sort of a blank check, whereas other members want to be really specific, as the United States has been in the past when it's authorizing war and said, here's the enemy, Here's where you can use force. Here's for you know what force may be used for, and there's a time limit on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so what what are we doing in Niger? Let's think about some of these hotspots: Niger, Somalia, Yemen. Okay, so we got the war in Iraq. It's kind of over, but it's still there. We have troops there, right? We've got the war in Syria. Where we Not said we're, we're going to stay for a very very long time, even after ISIS is right. defeated. Yeah. To make sure that we're you know, still Iran in Afghanistan, doesn't... which is the longest war in American history. Mm-hmm. OK, so we know about those three. Right. But then there are these other things that keep popping Yemen. up. <laughs> Yemen, Somalia, Niger, God knows where else. But what are we doing in Niger? Yeah, I mean, so all we know is the limited amount of information um, that they put out, which is why this report that's due today is so important, right? Because they have to actually provide um, mm-hmm. much more detailed information um, about any policy changes and their legal interpretation. If they issue that report today, I'll buy you dinner at the Palm. <laughs> I got to tell you. No, you... Let's, let's, let's just let's be clear. If they give it to Congress or if we get to see it. If they give it to Congress. Okay. All right. It's a deal. No. I don't even believe they're going to give it to Congress. No way. Okay. But let's go back. So we really don't know then what's happening in Niger. How many troops do we have there? Yeah. What's, what's their mission? I mean, it's one of the things that this administration has said, well, you know, we don't really want to be talking about how many troops we have in different places. And they've really sort of ramped down on the transparency about um, troop numbers. And, and they've said actually for Niger that that's not under the 2001 authorization for use of military force. Um, what is it, just a freebie? That's sort of a, a, a tra- you know, a, a training uh, mission. Which, yeah, which got out of control, at least on one occasion, right? But it didn't go so well. Okay. Um, Somalia. Yeah. So, you know, Somalia is a good example of, you know, do we think we're, you know, we're involved in an armed conflict in Somalia or not, right? Really different rules apply to wartime. And um, that's why, you know, these drone strike rules are really important that we have, at least, you know, even if not every single detail, some stuff has to be classified, but at least the, the basics of the rules that we're applying to places like Somalia, Libya, Yemen, do we think it's an armed conflict or not? Are we applying wartime targeting rules? Are we applying... Law enforcement human rights rules right. doesn't look so like it. So is Somalia mostly a drone operation? Uh it's it's been it's been mixed. 
But we, you know, but we, a lot of it we don't know. Right. Uh, and in Yemen, th- there's an active, that's an active civil war, right, between and the government, and I forget the name of the rebels, with Saudi Arabia clearly on the side of the government. And we are, what's our role there? So we've been assisting Saudi Arabia. Um, again, also not... Um, in selling them weapons? Uh, or my, with troops? My, so I, we've been um, doing things like, you know, helping with uh, refueling in the air or providing um, intelligence on targets. So it's a pretty significant involvement. It just seems to me that we've got these things going on all around the globe, and American people are being kept in the dark. That, that I, right? I wonder if part of that is like by design, right? Because, like you said, like with the Niger thing, we had no idea no. that that was going on. How many other things are out there that that's, we don't know? That's about? what I'm trying to get and at. It's just like yeah. there's so much stuff that they just they just act without the proper. Uh, channels or whatever it is, right, that we just have no clue is going on. And Congress sits there and lets, they let the Obama White House get away with this, and they're letting the Trump White House get away with it. I mean, I trust Trump a lot less than I trust Obama, but even under Obama, there were all these other little missions that we didn't know about. And we didn't get the drones yet. I'm, 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 I'm working my way up to the drones, but I mean, the there was the whole debate about where, who makes the decisions about when to use drones and what to use them for. Uh, and I remember it was between the CIA and the Pentagon, and they talked about moving it from the CIA to the Pentagon. Where is it now? Yeah, so under the – well, first of all, it, you know, it's back to your point about Congress sort of letting go of it. That's why this report is such a big deal because it's a first step of Congress actually saying – <laughs> The requirement they passed for a report. So uh, it was a really big deal because that's Congress saying, actually, you know, both sides of the aisle, right? Democrats and Republicans saying, we want to know what's going on. We have a right to know what's going on uh, and what you think that you're legally entitled to do and what policies you've put in place and what you've changed and tinkered with. We we have a right to know that. So that's, I think that's a big deal. And that's Congress really standing up. Um, but uh, on... You know, the drone strikes and the DOD versus the Central Intelligence Agency under Obama, you saw this shift, right? Obama really said, you know what, we really need to get the CIA out of the drones business. It really should be uh, the military that is uh, conducting kinetic strikes. And um, they were, they got almost there, almost all the way there, um, not not 100 percent. And then when Trump came into office, uh, we, you know, we saw all these reports that said, no, let's expand the CIA drone program. So we've, we've seen a trend going way um, back in the other direction. So it's not that DOD, you know, the Department of Defense is still conducting drone strikes as well, um, but reports that the CIA is sort of back in the drone business. Are there uh, any reports that we can trust on civilian casualties? Uh, government reports or outside reports? And any so, reports outside? Or I, I would imagine there would be more outside reports than government reports. Yeah, so uh, a couple different things. So there are a number of outside reports, um, and then there's um, monthly government reporting, at least for certain uh, areas of operations on civilian casualties. But, of course, there's a huge gulf between the outside numbers and the government's uh, own numbers. And uh, another place where Congress actually stood up this year is that they passed, as part of that same bill, a requirement for an annual report on uh, the number of civilian casualties uh, caused by all U.S. military operations anywhere in the world. Um, and that's coming due May 1st. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And so what your organization is pushing Congress to do what? What do you want to see or the administration to do what? Well, uh, so one of the things we pushed for was this bill, right, for this report, because we think it's really important that the uh, legal basis, any changes in legal interpretations or any new policies for military force that uh, we think those should be available to the public, right? So there's certain very limited things that, of course, you know, need to be kept secret, but not usually the law, right, that that the legal interpretation should be made public. So we worked hard to get this provision passed, and we're going to continue pushing um, to make sure that whatever report is produced as much as possible of that is made public. Same thing with the civilian casualties uh, reports. And then we also are pushing Congress, so that, you know, if it decides that continued uh, military force is warranted, any new authorization needs to be really narrowly tailored to where wartime targeting is really necessary and lawful and not just, you know, using that for any terrorist threat that pops up in the world. Well, again, it seems to me that that's that's doing their job uh, as laid out in the Constitution, which exactly. uh, Congress has really walked away from. The name of the organization, again, is Human Rights First, and the website is org. Are any other countries using drones uh, in a military capacity? So uh, a number of states uh, have acquired them and continue to acquire um, armed drones at a very, very rapid rate. Um, And a number of states have been involved in U.S. drone strikes. Um, There was, you know, there have been a couple of strikes where France and the U.K. have um, been pretty involved. And, I, you know, I'd have to go back and look to see exactly, you know, was it solely conducted by them on their own um, or not. But I think we're... Um, either way, we're getting very, very close to the day when, you know, states like China um, are using armed drones. Yeah, that's that's where, really where I'm heading. I mean, this is a technology that's readily available, right? I mean, right. they've got fighter planes, they've got jet planes, they've got submarines, they've got whatever, yep. right? They can develop a drone and they can arm a drone. Yeah. And, and how long before a drone flies over some... And military, an armed drone from some other country flies over uh, U.S. airspace or one of our allies. You can see China or you can see North Korea, Rocket Man doing this, right? Un- yeah. Unless they reach this magic peace deal uh, next month. But um, I mean, imagine and the what U.S. Would the military, American- you know, feels that it has capability to prevent that um, from happening on U.S. soil. But assuming that, you know, it, it could happen pretty sure that we wouldn't like those same rules being, you know, applied to us. Or the lack of rules, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, I I just think it's so important that kind of one of the basic things that we as American citizens have a right to know what our government is up to, number one, and particularly when it comes to deploying military forces for whatever reason around the world. And this idea and it was sort of the George Bush doctrine. I remember he gave this speech at West Point, which was reflected then in the AUMF after September 11, that the president has the power to determine unilaterally using military force anywhere in the world. I guess they have to re- – they're supposed to report what they do within, what, 60 days or so? Yeah, under the War Powers Resolution, the war uh, power. they have to provide reports on what they're doing. And how's that going? <laughs> yeah, right. So, I mean, and they do do that, but the, you know, the reporting under the War Powers Resolution is far more limited, and that's why this other report is so important, because it covers a much broader um, 
set of activity. Well, you know, we get busy on so many other issues, important things like Stormy Daniels, uh, <laughs> that um, we count on you and your colleagues to keep their feet to the fire on this. This is so, so very important. So that just the American people know what's going on. It's Human Rights First, humanrightsfirst.org. Thanks, Rita. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump goes to a big campaign rally and endorses himself. What do you say, folks? Yep. Launching his uh, 2020 re-election campaign on the back of a congressional candidate in Pennsylvania. Great to see you today on a Monday, big Monday, March 12. Welcome, welcome to the program, The Bill Press Show. Booming out to you live coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day, and there is a lot of it. The White House kind of backtracking a little bit on this uh, announced meeting with the leader of North Korea. Also, the White House totally backing down on any serious effort uh, or serious uh, any movement toward gun safety uh, in this country. Special election in Pennsylvania looming for, <clears throat> scheduled rather, in, for tomorrow. And Stormy Daniels is still storming the White House gates. How do we get through all that news? With a little help from our friend Cameron Joseph, senior political correspondent for Talking Points Memo. Cam, good to see you. Good to see you, Bill. How you doing? You're tied up there with... Yeah, you know, little, little broken, still functional. Cam can cover the news with one arm tied behind his back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I got, got to say, like, I, I'm very envious a... of you radio guys who can use your voice for, for skill and type. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, well, difficult, this broken well arm, when but... you have a voice, you can use it. Yeah, yeah. You, um, you and I should trade places for a couple of weeks. What? Uh, <laughs> so you had a bike accident. Yeah. Didn't go great. <laughs> you lost. Truck, truck. Yeah, that's the thing about, like, truck versus bike is, like, Oh, truck's gonna win that usually. Truck's gonna uh, win that. Yeah. So, oh. yeah. Uh, broken so arm. For, for yeah, bro- broken wrist, broken elbow. Uh, we'll see how the shoulder does, but may need surgery there too. So, oh my so, god, yeah, dude. Uh, dude. yeah. But you know, uh, I mean, I, I'm feeling pretty lucky. Like no facial. Bruises no, like right. I managed to like come out with basically out of scrape. I just you yeah. know broke things internally but um yeah wear your helmet kids because uh i had a minor concussion and it would have been much worse if uh that had not been on my head and also keep i mean it didn't make a difference in this case but keep a bike on you know a light on your bike uh the guy somehow still didn't see me in the bike lane with that but uh that at least you know Mm. yeah light on the bike you're all right yeah Yeah, glad you're all right too light on the bike and a helmet on the head and 
we jump right into the news of the day. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. It is Monday, so let's take a look at the box office. And no surprise, number one. Black Panther. Still Black Panther. $41 million over the weekend domestically. Now, how is it doing worldwide? Well, over the weekend, it passed the $1 billion Hmm. mark. It Hmm. has made over a billion dollars worldwide. Second place was Disney's A Wrinkle in Time, which has not been getting great reviews, but it's a big movie for Disney. But still, second place, uh, Black Panther still in the lead. So uh, if you haven't seen it yet... Go see it. It's, it's still Sounds around. like they don't need my money. Yeah, they don't, they yeah, don't, they haven't seen it. Yeah, you're in the minority yeah, at this point. It yeah, seems. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, we have a great conversation about Black Panther up on our Patreon page, <laughs> patreon.com slash BP show, where we talk to Danielle Cadet from The Undefeated about what the Black Panther means out there for the culture. Uh, so go check that out as well. Bill, in California, yes, you know, nobody likes their driver's license photo. But in California, you might have the chance to pick your own driver's license photos. A new bill introduced by California Senator Josh Newman that will allow you to request that more than one photo gets taken when you are posing oh, for your license yeah. photo. Right? You really only get one shot at this. Pay out for the headshot lobby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You only get one one shot at it. And they he's saying, no, you should be able to take a couple of them and then pick the one that you think you like the most that you want to have on your license. Uh, Mr. California, any thoughts? Well, yeah. I mean, what starts in California sweeps across the nation. So why not? Yeah, Yeah. if you're carrying that thing around, you should have something. I don't think most people pay much attention to their shot on the headshot, right? Like your passport photo. I mean, BFD. Mm. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, how about it? On a big Monday, welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. Hope you had a good weekend. Ready to dive headfirst into the news of the day, which we do so here on the Bill Press Show, coast to coast, on every platform uh, imaginable and available. We're with you online uh, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Joining you on Free Speech TV as well. And out in the greater Chicago area on WCPT, the big progressive voice of Chicago. Welcome, welcome. Joining us in studio as a friend of Bill for this hour, Cam Joseph, Cameron Joseph, senior political correspondent for Talking Points Memo. Again, Cam, good to see you. Thanks. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, as always. So I'm confused. Um, Is there going to be a summit with North Korea or not? I mean, the president had someone announce it for him on Friday. Yeah. And then suddenly there were all this, well, maybe we have to do this first or that the, first. The White or... House walking back things? No. No. <laughs> I mean, like, they, they, who the, I mean the, the short answer is who the hell knows, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I, like the most likely case here is that probably nothing happens because they tend to make a lot of grand pronouncements. Uh, I mean it seems like Trump wants a meeting. Um, as usual, Trump says things without thinking or really knowing, you know, any of the history, makes bold proclamations. White House staff then spend the next two weeks tying themselves in knots trying to walk things back while pretending that nothing is changing because, uh, are, you know, you're not allowed to admit that, that Trump said something wrong or that he 
mm-hmm. needs to change a position. Um, and then often things just fall by the wayside as we are dealing with the next crazy crisis. The difference with this one is, is obviously this isn't just like a random news flare up. This oh, has no, this incredibly a, yeah, important yeah. international implications. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not a North Korea expert. I'm also not an expert in, like, you know, d- diplomacy in Asia. I'm not going to speculate about what this could actually mean. Um, and I just, I think that this is another case of, of yeah, it was a bizarre, it's, you know, we, we have, we have the South Korean, uh, yeah. like, br- br- like the, the, their diplomats briefing our own reporters, on the White House lawn and kind of like it and like all right so so Donald Trump came out and like came in for the first time came into the, the White House. We're well, not all room. the way in, sorta. You got like head and shoulders yeah. through the door, yeah. Um, and and let Trey Yanks, who I think is a very good reporter on the right, let know that like this meeting was going to happen, you know, big announcement at, at seven, and then you know got got that out in pool. But like that was four thirty p.m. seven p.m. The the South Koreans make the announcement, um, and I think basically what happened is Trump heard about this. South Koreans, for diplomatic reasons, needed to make this announcement. Trump got way ahead of it, um, shouldn't have, and then there's this awkward, like, poorly staged event. I don't understand why in three hours they couldn't have figured out something better to do than have, you know, the, these important guys walk out in the dark yeah. uh, in front of the White House. But um, is what it is. Uh, sta- staging is, is not the biggest deal. Uh, and then, you know, we'll just watch them squirm for a while and, and see where this possible and international also, nuclear crisis lands us. Uh, yeah, right. And he also said he wanted to do it before May, right? And so it doesn't leave him a lot of time to pick a spot, to do any pre-negotiations that are necessary. I mean, do any planning? I mean, as we're seeing with the uh, gun unveiling today, uh, well, I just don't listen that closely to details with Trump. I think people tend to get like very like they people are still trying to treat him like a normal president in some regards, and that like he says things, and then you're supposed to hold him accountable to the things he says. Um, and you know, I mean, he came out and basically sounded like like a northeastern liberal on guns for a few hours, a, a, a drunk a drunk guy at a bar who was. Kind of, yeah. you know, anti-gun, um, you know, who also wants to arm teacher, like just kind of riffing on it on uh, that big meeting and everyone freaked out and the NRA freaked out and Republicans freaked out. And then it's all gone today. So, like, stop acting like what he says matters, you know, like, I mean, like at some point you got to just realize that the guy is just saying things. And, yeah, he's the president of the United States. Yeah, it matters. You need to I mean, like, I think reporting is really important to see how the White House actually reacts to things he says. Uh, but I mean, what matters legislatively is what's happening on the Hill. Uh, and what, you know, I mean, like Trump can kill things pretty easily as we saw with like him saying he was going to get a DACA fix and then making that an impossibility. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like proactively getting his party to move on things, I think uh, the Republicans I talked to on the Hill, their reaction basically is like, I mean, some of them will complain publicly, but a lot of them will just grimace and stay silent and wait until like the latest wave of wild passes and just go back to doing what they're going to be well, doing. The, the the conversation around the table about guns was basically a replay of a conversation around the table about immigration. Yep. Where he said, you know, a lot of things. A lot of things. I'm open to all of this, open to all of this, and then yeah. nothing happened. Yeah. And we're uh, guns around the table, he said for sure they were going to raise the age limit. Yep. 
he said he could support a ban on assault weapons mm-hmm. at one point in that meeting. Yeah. Anyway, it came out of the right. It freaked everybody out. And and what they came up with last night is they're going to arm more people on and provide training, got, uh, money for training at school sites. Yeah, it's like an NRA written bill. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was one. Oh yeah, some kind of an improvement to the background checks, but you know it's not going to be. But that, I mean, even that, you know, John Cornyn, who's very no age, NRA no friendly, age limit. The age limit has disappeared. Right. Yeah, and, and like the, the background check fix is actually an important thing that has bipartisan support. You know, Chris Murphy right. is, uh, you know, uh, represents Newtown. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, has long been very involved on this issue. He and John Cornyn, I think, worked. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of criticism of John Cornyn, but I, I think the guy generally tends to work in good faith uh, in most things. Uh, and he and Cornyn, who's, you know, very pro-NRA, pro-gun guy, like, came up with ways to fix the background check system in ways mm-hmm. that, like, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty, you know, may, may, maybe small bore, but, like, important fixes. If they yeah. can save lives, they're important fixes. Sure. And, like, you know, the House attached this to a, a bill that could never pass, uh, basically, like, uh, concealed weapon reciprocity, basically making the entire country uh, concealed carry, concealed carry. Um, which can never pass in the Senate, and also, you know, obviously, is is you know pairing those two together is is a poison pill. Um, and you know, if Trump said we we want to fix background checks, even if it's this, this relatively small thing, I think a he would get a fair amount of bipartisan accolades. And honestly, like the NRA isn't that against it, um, but they don't want to give any wins, you know, because uh, then they're ceding ground, and the next fight is something they care about. Uh, and, and you know, he's not even willing to do that. And so the idea that Donald Trump is going to cross the people who put him in office is the one thing that you can almost always rest assured is never going to happen. Right. And I, I whatever sh- he says, it doesn't matter. Uh, I should mention um, that they also part of their plan is appointing a blue ribbon commission to study the problem of school safety headed by Betsy DeVos. So the, uh-huh. the there you go. Right. We'll see. We'll see what comes out of that. The day after. At the big rally in Pennsylvania, among many things Donald Trump riffed on, was Blue Ribbon Committee saying we don't need any more Blue Ribbon Committees <laughs> because they don't do anything. All they do is talk. Then the next day, he appoints a Blue Ribbon Committee headed by, again, Betsy DeVos. Right. So um, where shall we go next? How about – well, we want to talk about the Pennsylvania special. Kevin Robiar is coming in from uh, Politico, and we'll save that uh, until then. But, um, you know, it's a big storm hitting the, uh, slamming the uh, Northeast uh, today and tomorrow. And there's a big stormy <laughs> slamming Ooh. the Trump White House, Cam. Um, it seems to me if Donald Trump were to ever meet his match in terms of self-promotion, he's met his match in Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels 2020, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, why not, like... No, 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 no. Don't even don't. But, but I mean, uh, she is driving this White House crazy, right? I mean, they yeah. cannot, they cannot shake her. She's and with this new attorney she's got, yeah, who's a tiger, um, yeah, like a serious, very serious, very attorney. serious, yeah. Um, and you know, it sounds like they're going to air that sixty minutes interview. It's going to be very interesting to see what she has to say. Honestly, we kind of know well, what she has the, to say because we have that like buried interview that got killed in uh, touch from magazine. In touch that yeah. she laid out exactly what what it seems is you know her side of the story and 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 frankly uh, you know I seems at least you know, there's some corroboration um, from other people who are around maybe not for what happened and you know behind closed doors but that you know there was some contact there there's other people who yeah, accused just, me of some more things put yeah. a little, uh, put a little flesh on that those bones yeah, I mean fun. there are at least two women 
porn stars who were there at the mm-hmm. same celebrity golf tournament, yeah. which does raise the question, who invited them? Why were they there? I think we know the answer to that. But said that Donald Trump invited them to join him and Stormy that yeah. evening in his hotel room. Right. So, like, I mean, I, I don't think there's that much of a question that she was in that room with him. And, like, you know, the two of them are the only ones who know really what happened. But uh, I, I get the feeling it probably wasn't just watching Shark Week. And uh, yeah, I think so. And and according to her, this lasted through two thousand and six into two thousand and seven. Yeah. So it wasn't just you know or at least at least contact in a relationship, right. even if, yeah. if that at was least it, a, just, it wasn't maybe uh, just a one time fling. Doesn't, yeah, doesn't look like it. But but you know the fact that Donald Trump has his somehow whatever the connection. Donald Trump's attorney pays her one hundred thirty thousand dollars to shut up. Then we find out they've been in arbitration a week or so ago mm-hmm. to keep her quiet. Yep. And now there's a CBS interview or the 60 Minutes interview and reports that the White House may seek an injunction against CBS from airing that interview. Yeah. And I don't think they have a leg to stand on there because, like, maybe she's violating her agreement, but, like, CBS can air whatever they want once she, like, I mean, you can go after Stormy Daniels if she didn't yeah. get this, but, like, yeah. They don't have a leg to stand on blocking CBS. And I heard this morning that CBS is going to air that next week. Um, oh, they've announced that. Yeah. That, that's, I mean, that, that's what I heard secondhand. Uh, I mean, good for Anderson here, Cooper. This will be the all-time highest rate. Probably, I'll bet it's higher than Bill and Hillary when they went on after in 1992. <laughs> in terms of market share, who knows? But, yeah, I mean, there's just more people here. The, thing, the thing that's so fascinating about this to me is, as we mentioned before, mm-hmm. like, this is such a screw-up of uh on the part of the white house which we've seen this press department and the white house be so good diabolical almost at finding ways around any issue that comes in front of them right like they'll find a way to deflect or deny or or whatever it is however they do it right and this is one that like when sarah huckabee sanders mentioned the arbitration that was a total own goal like they, she didn't have to go there. Nobody else was going yeah. there, and she brought it up. And, and reportedly, then, Trump was real pissed about that too. I believe that. I, yeah. I believe that. And so now you, and then now you got this other thing where, like, Michael Cohen either, out of the goodness of his heart, oh, of course, gave this woman one hundred thirty thousand dollars from his mortgage. From yeah, which he had to borrow mm-hmm. to get, yeah. which says a lot about like the Trump. Uh, uh, model of how you pay people right hmm. like the guy doesn't have any money but like if he did that that's not that's not legal you're not allowed to do that you're not allowed to make that contribution to the presidency right like, like there's a gray area there about like what he did and whether or not it's legal so it's either he did something illegal or the president of the united states authorized this money to be spent to silence a porn star that he had an affair with so they've really backed themselves into a corner which we haven't really seen them do yet I don't understand why the arbitration took place just a couple of weeks ago. What was if they already had this yeah. non-disclosure agreement that she, that at least she signed, even if he didn't? What was the arbitration about? Because it wasn't signed. Is that was that? I yeah, I think that the question is because Trump himself didn't sign it. So right, it was theoretically, okay. an agreement between the two, like Daniels and yeah. Trump. It wasn't between Daniels and yeah. Cohen. Um, the fact that Trump hadn't signed it. I think, at least from Daniel's perspective, meant that it was null and void and moot, even though he, she had the money. And so I, I, I'm un, a little unclear about the legal details there. But, I mean, it, it's it's pretty interesting to me that, like, this is what – I mean, I've, obviously this is a sexy story. Like, you know, 
presidents sleeping around always tends to break through. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we had a lot of this pre-election, and I think there was just su- such chaos that we kind of missed some of it. But, like, there were 17 women who accused him of sexual harassment right. or assault. Right. And, you know, I, I mean, I think people almost forgot about that. Like, things were just moving so fast that, like, it, it broke through and then it faded. Um, you know, his, his very infamous grabbing them, you know, right. grabbing women by, by uh, private parts line was not awesome uh, for him politically. And then, you know, the, the Comey stuff hit and, like, this kind of all washed away almost. Uh, and I feel like, you know, I, I mean, there's just so much going on and, and people tend to have short attention spans anyways. And this seems to be kind of grinding through uh, in a way that I am almost a little surprised by. I mean, it's so salacious that, of course, people are going to be interested. But at the same time, you know, compared to I mean, like we're talking about I mean, like this, this is one of the cover up is the problem here. Right. I mean, like, yes. like I'm, I'm not yes. saying like, oh, you should, doubt, you know, like, like there's nothing wrong with like cheating on your spouse who has a brand new baby. But like, OK, that's gross. But like we've obviously seen presidents do that before. Um the quiet, the the fact that he's paying like the, the this hush money is I think the real scandal here and how that played out and obviously the the sordid details are very uh, interesting to a lot of people but I think the kind of bigger problem here is is, is the cover up. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry to go from the ultimate sexy to maybe the least, but uh, you've been writing about uh, the reaction still to. Rob Porter's resignation. Yeah, which in any other White House would, would be the but, story for yeah, months yeah, and months. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, here it is, and, and, like, it's probably the C or the D story for, for the last month. But, you know, obviously, like— but it hasn't gone away either, right? Because no. there's still this lingering question about national security clearances. Yeah, and so, the, I mean, I think they, they legitimately almost—they made some real improvements after they got caught uh, about, like, who gets this— uh, and and Rob Porter, you know, for those who haven't followed this closely, had you know, the FBI basically hadn't given him a security clearance because of these allegations from his two ex-wives and that that he'd been physically abusive and, and verbally abusive. Uh, you know, there's that very famous photo out there of the black eye that one says that he gave her, uh, and the White House gave him temporary clearance anyways, even though, you know, setting aside, mm-hmm. like, what that says about him as a person, it obviously opens him up to blackmail, which is a national security crisis uh, in the making. And he, you know, was was basically running all the paper in and out of Trump's office, and in, in the Oval Office, hugely important, you know, heavily relied upon by, by uh, Chief of Staff Kelly, um, who protected him and defended him. Mm-hmm. And they got through this whole period months after the FBI told them they're still protecting it until uh, one of the ex-wives went public and then the other did, and this became a very public thing. At th- that point, they said, oh, we didn't know. We're going to fire him. We just found out about this when the story was about to drop. And then the FBI director, Ray, testified, no, this is BS. Yeah. You guys knew about this months ago. Yeah, they know so, in January 2017. Yeah. And so this is obviously a serious national security issue, setting aside you – know, once again, here's the sort of right. details in one bucket, and then here's the actual crisis that they've created by this. And Trey Gowdy, who has not exactly been the bulldog on Donald Trump that he was on Hillary Clinton with, with the Benghazi. Not exactly, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, basically has done almost nothing uh, in the, his year plus. I mean, he, he hadn't been oversight uh, – chairman because Jason Chaffetz was there and then when Chaffetz decided to quit for Fox News gig he got that gig after running the Benghazi committee um, and he 
actually was pretty seemed pretty legitimately concerned and furious about this and called him the mat and said you know he wants to know who knew what when uh demanded his information uh and i, I got the uh, the scoop last week uh late last week that the white house sent a letter back to him basically telling him to shove it that hmm. they weren't going to answer any of his questions um in very polite terms uh said you know we're willing to talk about this at the appropriate date here's what we released publicly a month ago Right as you were asking these questions, so they're stiffing Trey Gowdy on this yeah. issue. Yeah, um, and so and and Gowdy got back. You know, I I, I got that letter, um, obtained the letter, and like it was just an obvious like f you to Gowdy. And there's been a couple times where Gowdy's asked for stuff and they haven't provided it before, and that kind of was the end of it. Uh, but Gowdy seems pretty annoyed right now, and like you, you know the, the the committee had a statement out that uh, about a day after that like. This ain't okay. We're meeting with them. We're going to. We expect this information. Um, Democrats want them to go further. Obviously, they want them to actually subpoena the information, which they have the legal right to do. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if Trey Gowdy mans up and gets this information uh, or not. I mean, they're they're obviously still. I don't think in full protection yeah. mode of the White House, but they're not nearly as feisty as the Democrats. Well, so in the meantime, though, you've got. Uh, uh, We've been told a new policy from John Kelly that they're they're not going to yeah. uh, give everybody uh, a free pass on these with these just temporary security clearances. Yet, Jared is still there, uh, yeah. demoted, no, no top security clearance, never right. had it, and Ivanka. So, are they making carving out exceptions for family members? It's still. I mean, they haven't been very clear about what exactly they're doing. It sounds like Jared actually has lost his. Security yeah. clearance. They just don't want to talk about it that much because obviously there's a lot. Of, I mean, the thing is, like, the person who actually needs to make these decisions, John Kelly, is the one who came out looking the worst from all of this. Uh, and there's a big, big tension and rivalry between John Kelly and Jared Kushner. And Kushner, who has all of these ongoing uh, endeavors that that you know he just got huge loans from people who are tied uh, to foreign national governments. Obviously, there, there's like serious. Uh, you know, appearance of conflict of interest uh, with the government of, of Qatar and, and places where there have been international incidents that Kushner has been involved with the U.S. response to over the last couple of months. That that's really, really concerning. Um, but John Kelly was the one who totally uh, ate it, uh, it pooped <laughs> the bed on, on this because he wanted to protect uh, his boy, who's you know maybe a wife beater, but doing a great job for him. So. He doesn't exactly have a great leg to stand on to demand that Jared Kushner, who he's been fighting with internally, uh, give up his clearance. It sounds like he actually has for now. We'll see how long things stick like that. But there were more than 100 White House staff who were basically like were flagged for one reason or another. Like, hey, here's a possible conflict of interest. Here's something you did in your past. Like, you can't have Mm -hmm. clearance, which in any other White House, especially the last Obama White House, which, you know, say what you will about them, but they like bent over backwards to really follow ethics rules, and you didn't see scandals like this for a reason, um, they, w- they would have been out. They, they would have just not had their job. They would have been gone, uh, or they would have been put in a position that you don't need security clearance for. And now they're finally making some moves. And some people, I think one or two people have been fired. Uh, a handful mm-hmm. of people have been have had their jobs switched. Kushner, theoretically, is still running all these major, this huge portfolio of major international so, issues without, mm-hmm. t- theoretically, without uh, secret and, and, and top secret clearance, which the, is baffling to the me. The president has the, any president, I mm-hmm. believe, has the authority 
to give a presidential uh, get out of jail card, I guess, right? I mean, he can declassify whatever he wants. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he can secret access or top secret access. Um, so I'm not totally familiar with all of the, the law on that. But I mean, the pre- once the president says something, it's no longer classified. He can, he's he's the final arbiter of that, which we saw with Trump telling you know give, giving the Russians some information about what was going on in Syria that had been uh, very I, I think highly classified um, and you know there's all these different levels and they all sound bad and there's actually a lot of difference and frankly we're probably overclassifying things as a country but that doesn't excuse that us handing information to the Russians you know uh, uh, so I, I mean it's it's kind of a, a gray area what's actually should be there to but. your point about. Um, Stuff is happening so fast, you yep. know. We just uh, and we're ADD anyhow. But then we just st- storm stories that would have legs for a week le- last a day now. Maybe, yeah. for example, Gary Cohn, he was the president's chief economic well, advisor, yeah. right? And um, now we knew he wasn't entirely happy there, but he's out, right? Um, God knows who they're going to get to replace him. Um, Hope Hicks. Nobody yeah. closer to the president. The whole picks. No, she's out. Yeah. So, um, what what's happening? What do you hear about efforts to replace them? And are there, as Donald Trump I says, mean, are there people just lining up on Pennsylvania Avenue to get a job at the White House? That's the thing. Is like, this was their A team. Yeah. These were yeah. the these were the best and brightest that were willing to work for the Trump administration. And we and we see this in every administration, which is, you know, three years in, four years in. You see right. turnover. Yeah. You see, like yeah. the junior oh, yeah. people move up to senior roles. You see right. people burn out. It's an exhausting yeah. job. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, a, a year is like a decade in the White House. A year is like a century in this White House. And these were not people who were necessarily totally qualified for these jobs in the first place. And I actually think I I, I think people underestimate exactly how smart Hope Hicks is. I think she actually is a very talented um, person who has a unique skill set in managing President Trump that is now gone. I think that's actually. Um, going to be a destabilizing thing that she is gone Hmm. whether or not that's a good thing is kind of dependent on the issue and your perspective but uh she could calm him down in a way that very few other people and basically nobody outside of his immediate family could and and talk sense to him and disagree with him and get him to like back down on things um and Gary, Gary Cohn had some kind of a moderating influence on him, too. Yeah, and it was like, I mean, he was globalist Gary, they yeah. all called him. I mean, you right. know, tr- Trump joked about, oh, we like you, you're a globalist. And, we you still know, like you, I know. Right. Um, and, you know, there, there's obviously a big question about whether globalist means likes the international order or Jewish, um, which a lot of people have raised. Um, and he, it's it's a real open question there what happens there. And Gary Cohn, I think, was interesting, you know, complained but stayed during... When when Trump was basically defending white supremacists Charlottesville. after yeah. Charlottesville, and you know made sure that got leaked out that he was unhappy and thinking about leaving, and then stayed. Um, and it was it was trade that broke him. That it, it was it was the these steel and aluminum tariffs that Trump was arbitrarily slapping on that uh, Cohen felt would would be severely detrimental to the economy, and maybe. Um, but that you know some people say was going really targeted at this well, Pennsylvania you, special election more than any actual policy issue. So do you think this sort of Niagara of turnover in the uh, Trump administration uh, impedes their ability to get things done? Yeah. I mean, when you lose top people, it becomes harder to get anything done. Uh, I don't know what they're going to be able to get. I mean, like, we're, we're, we're through policy, right? Like, we, they got their taxes. Obamacare's not happening. 
within the administration, they're going to be able to chip away at things and mess things up. But, like, there's still jobs that they still haven't confirmed people for, oh, like yeah. major no, positions no, no. across hundreds, government. Hundreds, hundreds, yeah. yeah. And so, like, and, and that that is not normal. I mean, like, this is really unusual. There's there's temporary political appointees and holdovers from the Obama administration still running large swaths of government. And then they complain about the deep state. But you know what? All you got to do is find people, appoint people, get them confirmed that meet the basic standards of you, you can get through the Senate, which you have way, control over and you only need 51 right. votes for. It. And by the way, even though Donald Trump keeps blaming it on Democrats, these are not positions where there are people who've been nominated who have not been confirmed. These are positions that have not been filled. Yeah. Hundreds of them. So take take what's happening now with this uh, pending North proposed North Korea meeting with a little rocket man. We have no ambassador to South Korea. Yep. The At the State Department, the Secretary for East Asian Affairs is a position that has not been, nobody's been nominated yep. for that position. And the one point person that we had on North Korea resigned last week. Nobody's been appointed to take his place. So basically, yeah. it's Donald Trump running the whole show himself. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the fact that you know, H.R. McMaster, who I think is one of the few mature adults in the room that people on both sides of the aisle have some faith in, yeah. uh, there was serious talk about him leaving. Oh, yeah. And and Rex Tillerson, say what you will about. Out. Yeah, like, like yeah, leave, quit or get fired. Right. And now they're, you know, kind of backing away from that because they realize, like, he's literally the only guy that knows anything about any of this. Um, you, know, you know, Rex Tillerson's basically been completely sidelined. Uh, and whether or not you think he was qualified in the first place, you'd need a yeah. secretary of state. It's kind of important. Um, and so we're in this and, position where there's really no government. To function, to make these huge And we have Rex Tillerson we learned over the weekend because um, Russia did not want Mitt Romney in that position. And they went out of their way to kill the possibility that Mitt Romney would become the the new Secretary of State. All of this happening, of course, as we are in midterm year 2018. Mm -hmm. What's going on on the political front? We'll get into that with Kevin Robiar, starting with a special election up in Pennsylvania. Kevin Rubiar from Politico joining me and Cameron Joseph here. Uh, and all of you, your comments always welcome on Twitter at BP Show. Ah. This is the Bill Press Show. And on a Monday, March 12, welcome back, everybody. Wrapping up here on the Bill Press Show this Monday, taking a look at the uh, political scene, Cameron Joseph. From Talking Points Memo here in studio with us as a friend of Bill the entire hour, where we're joined at the table here by Kevin Robiar from Politico, a campaign reporter for Politico. Kevin, welcome. Great to be here. Welcome back. Uh, All eyes on uh, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. The uh, president went up there, was it Saturday or Friday night? Saturday. Saturday. Um, Ostensibly to... um, Campaign for Rick Saccone, the Republican candidate up there uh, for this uh, 18th Congressional District special election. He um, sort of forgot about Rick Saccone for a while. Mm -hmm. 75 minutes he talked about himself. In fact, he even joked, um, I like this job so much, maybe like President Xi, I could keep it forever. Mm -hmm. I was at a, uh, a roast, actually. But I was joking, and I said, huh. President for life, that sounds good. Maybe we're going to have to try it. Maybe we're going to... President for life. But I'm joking. Yeah. But I'm joking. Yeah. 
He's not really well, I was joking. joking. And I said, ha. Ha. Yeah. <laughs> and then he announced, uh, making it official, that making it an official campaign stop for Donald Trump for re-election. We have a new slogan. Keep America great! Exclamation point. Keep America great. I'm surprised he didn't pick out the font. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. I was saying maybe he should ask Jeb Bush how well that exclamation point. <laughs> yeah. uh, exclamation <laughs> point. So what's this look like up there, Kevin? You've been following this. And how important is it? Look, it's important. Is it going to be the end-all, be-all? No, there's still 10 months. Or not 10 months, I guess, at this point. Eight months until the actual midterm elections. But look, this is an important signpost. It's in the type of district um, that Democrats supposedly can't win in again, a white working-class district, although this district does have a higher proportion of college-educated voters than a lot of other districts of its ilk. Uh, and it's it's definitely a sort of a signpost on the way to the midterms. And can we view it necessarily as a pure referendum on Trump or as a pure referendum on Republicans' midterm chances? I don't think it's that you know, significant. Um, I think the fact that Saccone is a pretty weak candidate, as Republicans have been saying, matters a lot here, and that Lamb is a particularly good candidate. But still, this is a district Trump won by 20 points two years ago. Yeah, it yeah. should not be competitive. Is this like Georgia 3, Cam, uh, with a better Democratic candidate? <laughs> kind of. I mean, the districts are very different. Mm-hmm. I think what's really interesting about this race, and Kevin kind of alluded to this, is that yeah, so we've seen uh, there's two things that need to happen for Democrats to have a huge wave this mm-hmm. election. I think we, we everybody, Democrats and Republicans agree that right now it's looking like there's going to be a wave. The question is how big it is. The first is the areas that had been long Republican suburban enclaves mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, Hillary did a lot better than than uh, Obama did uh, needed to look like that in this fall and, and look even better. And we've seen in election after election from Virginia to New Jersey to special election and in Washington. legislative races have been. Yeah. And, and, and the Virginia gubernatorial race was a complete washout, you know, blowout from Democrats that no one was really expecting. Uh, Jersey was it was very good for them. So we're seeing this happen in a lot of other parts of the country, too, where Democrats are doing. You know, we saw some special elections in Florida. The suburbs are going to be very, very good for Democrats if things hold like they are right now. The other part of this equation, uh, frankly, matters more for the Senate map than the House map, is Mm -hmm. can Democrats do better in these rural, more culturally conservative populist areas that Donald Trump did very, very well in and that have been moving to Republicans for decades, but really, you know, the the Reagan Democrat areas just got, you know, Democrats got decimated in last election in places like this district. And so the fact that, you know, okay, Rick Rick Sacone, everybody says is a terrible candidate. He is a pretty terrible candidate. Connor Lamb is a very good candidate. I think that people are some, the Republicans are somewhat overselling, you know, the Mm -hmm. the Jesus thing with, with Connor Lamb. He's he's good. He's not the best candidate I've ever seen. Um, and but you know we're talking about like a, an A to A minus candidate running against like a, a, a C plus a C minus D plus candidate. D, yeah. But well, this isn't. I mean, this isn't Roy Moore. This isn't a guy who yeah. like you know has been accused of of sexually assaulting teenage yeah. girls. Like <laughs> like Rick Saccone in a district that's R plus twenty. You know, I, I guess you know Trump won by twenty. R plus twelve or whatever it is mm-hmm. in Cook rating. Like. This shouldn't be competitive even with a terrible Republican candidate. Right. And what we're seeing is even in these red districts, Democrats are very, very excited. This is an area with a lot of union density, and the unions were kind of okay with Tim Murphy, who is the predecessor. Uh, And Rick Saccone is very anti-union, and that's Mm -hmm. really hurt him. 
Right. And I want to ask you, Kevin, about the unions, because the unions are playing a big role up mm-hmm. here, particularly the steel workers, mm-hmm. who are kind of caught in it maybe between a rock and a hard place because they don't want the Republican, but mm-hmm. at the same time, they like the tariffs. Yeah, and, and I mean, Trump, I think that Trump is associated with the tariffs and Rick Saccone with Donald Trump. So mm-hmm. that's going to be a tough test, huh? Yeah, I think it's helped a little bit that Lamb supports the tariffs. Uh, he said yeah, this week. Yeah. So, or excuse me, last week. So I think that's a big step. And for he's them. a union guy. Yes. I mean, I don't think he's personally ever been a menu- no, member right. of the union. I think his father but, yeah. was or something. Yes, yeah, so, but he, yeah, he comes from a political family. His, yeah. I believe his, uh, it's either his father or his grandfather was a leader of the Democrats in the Pennsylvania State Senate and was a big yeah, union supporter there. Yeah. Um, so basically yeah, this, Pittsburgh. Yes, this, this matters a lot. And I think it's going to be interesting to see. This can almost be a preview, not necessarily of the Pennsylvania Senate race, which kind of looks like it might be a washout. Um, you know, in early polling, Bob Casey has a pretty big lead. Um, but maybe of, we're pretty close to Ohio here, of the Ohio Senate race. Mm-hmm. Sherrod Brown has sort yeah. of a similar political similar, profile. Right. Yeah. He, he doesn't have some of the better parts of Lamb's bio, which are sort of the prosecutor and veteran parts. But he does have sort of that union base. And can he do the same thing and sort of bring back some of these union workers who voted for Donald Trump? I think that's something to look for. That's going to crop up in a few other places on the Senate map as well. I think in Michigan, that could potentially be a competitive Senate race. So I think that's one thing to watch for. Yeah. And this look district borders West Virginia. I mm-hmm. mean, like like mm. Democratic mm. populism mm-hmm. and how you Democrats manage this and navigate this gun issue, which I think Lamb has been pretty effective. I, mm-hmm. I have a gun. Here's my gun in my ad. I also um, support background checks, which is Joe Manchin shot you know, famously mm-hmm. shot with a rifle, the cap and trade bill mm-hmm. in his first ad. And then also very famously uh, yeah. was, was, yeah. was, you know, pro, you know, pr- created this background check bill that failed uh, with Pat Toomey. And so I think, you know, that's another race to watch here where, where that could have some real implications. I mean, the difference between mm-hmm. Green and Washington County is, you know, Green County on the West Virginia border mm-hmm. uh, where West Virginians go to work, you know, yeah. in, in a now closed uh, coal mine that just closed. Yeah, I mean, there's like a lot of really interesting overlap there. This is basically mm-hmm. the Deer Hunter district. This is you know the, the movie Deer Hunter is based mm-hmm. on a town just over the the district really? border. Yeah. And so like if you want like cultural flavor, like that's mm-hmm. pretty close. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, they, these are you know don't overread any one election. Every one election has quirks, but so far every election, including that Georgia district that the Democrats fell short in have moved a lot towards Democrats. And well, this is the thing, type of district that's going to be right. One thing we've seen is, uh, I, I know um, every time we have uh, Tom Perez in here or any of the people of the DNC, that there have been 39 legislative seats mm-hmm. flipped from red mm-hmm. to blue since mm-hmm. Trump was elected president. But even in those that did not flip, the Democrats have the turnout and the momentum mm-hmm. and, yeah. the, and, the, and their showing has improved. Latest case for that was Texas, I guess, where... Yeah, uh, again, not every Democrat in Texas won, but mm-hmm. the Democratic Democratic turnout in Texas was huge. Yeah, it was much bigger than it's been before. The Republicans also had very good turnout in Texas, uh, mm. really on the primary level. There was a lot of people showed up to vote in a primary, particularly a midterm primary, which not that many people show up to vote in. Um, you know, I'm a little cautious of reading those primary numbers as sort of a predictor. Yeah. Um, you know, Ted Cruz's campaign folks have been going around crowing th- about how many more votes he got in the primary than Beto O'Rourke, but like that's not how elections are decided yeah. um, in a fairly obvious way. So look, it does matter, and I think particularly what you saw in the Democratic primaries in certain congressional districts can be very telling. 
um, and particularly places where there's long been Republicans voted more than Democrats and that flipped, I think that can be telling. But I don't necessarily think we should overread too much into how many votes were cast in each of these sexist primaries. Although you're right, there was a big surge for Democrats. But, you know, the number of people who vote in the primary is going to be swamped by the number of people who vote in the general And if you look at the number, Cam, of candidates, particularly women running this yeah. year, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that from what I observe, Democrats have done a pretty good job of making sure that they have a candidate in just about every election, yeah. state, state and congressional. And I, I don't think you can give before credit to the they committees. Would, I think you give credit to the fact that... The base is so fired up exactly. that, A, yeah. the people they've been trying to get to run for years are running. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, B, right. people they've never heard of, many of whom have very good backgrounds and, and are running very good campaigns, are right. running. And yep. not only are these people running, but they are printing money. Mm-hmm. They are raising so much money that I don't think that money is going to be a problem for Democrats in any mm-hmm. of these races. And we really haven't seen, except for the Obama elections, uh, Democrats have a money advantage for a decade now. I mean, mm-hmm. it's 2006, 2008 that congressional Democrats have had it. And since Citizens United, we haven't seen this. <coughs> um, and we're seeing in Pennsylvania, you know, super PAC money just doesn't work as well. You know, mm-hmm. see Republicans out, heavily outspending Democrats, the top $10 million on the GOP side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it hasn't for, mattered because— for a seat. That will not even exist. Exi- yeah, yeah. Pennsylvania maps getting redrawn. <laughs> but Connor Lamb has, you know, and I don't think this is going to be what we see in every race, especially against incumbents. Connor Lamb has outraised Saccone uh, about five to one. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's out, you know, r- running more TV ads than him. And, and candidates get much cheaper ad rates. And so a million dollars for a candidate is like $3 million for a super PAC, especially yeah. when you get to the end of this. And so that's going to make a huge difference. These candidates can dictate their own message. It's not a super PAC trying to shore them up. And, you know, I think the, the, the downside of having so many candidates, is, as we saw in Texas, uh, some of these flawed candidates and crowded primaries are going to get through. And there's some runoffs that Democrats are very worried about uh, in Texas. Uh, we're going to see in mm-hmm. Illinois in a couple of weeks uh, some interesting primaries. Uh, you know, Democrats' real challenge, uh, California is the biggest one because of the weird top two system where two candidates of any mm-hmm. party get through and Democrats could theoretically lose seats in the uh, yeah. primary. Um they're going to have a lot of problems there. They can't it, really control. It may have been your story on Politico that I saw this morning. I read it earlier and didn't pay that much attention to the byline. Um, picking up on Cam's point about California, mm-hmm. Orange County. The, yes. So this was Gabriel DiBenedetti, okay. uh, who's one of our other political reporters. Uh, we know him well. He's <laughs> a great friend and guest as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in the heartland of, um, of yeah. Southern California, which I know well as mm-hmm. former Democratic chair, um, we always used to call that, <clears throat> if you went down to Orange County, you were going behind the orange curtain. <laughs> uh, and now there's several, maybe as many as four seats there. Yeah, there's Republican a, seats that could turn Democratic. Yeah, there's a lot of seats. Orange County is a somewhat unique case because it's being driven not just by reaction to Trump, but really by demographic change. The percentage of uh, Hispanics and Asians in the district uh-huh. have really grown they haven't necessarily matched that population growth with voting power, which has always been a difficult thing for mm-hmm. Democrats to do, yeah, particularly yeah. in Hispanic-heavy areas, to turn all these people into voters who will show up and cast their ballot. Um, but that's really what's driving a lot of it. And it's really it's putting these four seats that are traditionally in, you know, this is a place that was very near and dear to Ronald Reagan's heart. Um, oh, yeah. That is now just at the verge of some of these seats are almost certainly going to go blue on election day. Um, part of that also has to do with some incumbents. Dana Rohrabacher is certainly 
um, an odd duck, I think we can say, to say the minimal, um, a strange <laughs> Russophile within the Republican Party. It's the nicest thing I've ever heard anybody say yeah. about it. Yeah, um, right. So he, I mean, he And then Daryl Issa, who... Yeah, who's retiring. Um, Ed Royce also retired. Um, you know, in that, in that story, Mimi Walters sounds very confident about holding her seat. Which but, is not always a good sign. Yeah, which is not yeah. always a good sign because it could mean that you're not taking it seriously. But we don't we don't exactly know how uh, prepared she actually is. But that is something Republicans have been worried about: are some of these incumbents who have just held their seats forever saying, "No, there's no way I'm vulnerable. I'm people here love me. I always win with seventy percent." Well, it's you haven't actually had a Democratic challenger with any money behind them probably since your first election. Right. So, oh yeah, mm-hmm. no, no. These are the seats where we could we could never get anybody serious to run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I was chair. You know, yeah. they just figured it was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and now they're gearing up, as you say, they're raising money. Mm-hmm. Demographically, districts are changing, and, mm-hmm. and some yeah. of these people have just been around for a long, long time. Yeah. So, when, so when you add it up, I'd be interested in both of you. Um, what do you think the prospects are for Democrats getting the House? It's, it's certainly not not a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. Dunk getting the House back uh, in twenty eighteen. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying 50-50 for a while. I think there's a lot of uncertainty. Honestly, I'm moving – the more I see, the more it looks good for Democrats. We're still a long ways out, but, like, I'd You're rather be the – 60-40 yet? I'm, I'm at about 60-40. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Uh, it's – I don't – I think there's a lot that can change, and there's a chance that Republican there's, – there's some real tough districts Democrats need to win, but – Everything I'm seeing right now is is looking good for Democrats. If they can avoid some of these major primary pitfalls and the the environment stays like this, I think they're looking very good for this. I think there was a moment sort of earlier in the year where Republicans ticked up a bit in the generic ballot. Yeah. The tax uh, law had ticked up in popularity right. a bit, and it was beginning to look like Republicans might have a way to stave that off. But I think one of the interesting <laughs> things about this Pennsylvania election has been sort of how – flat some of that strategy has fallen. Uh, Corey Bliss, who's the head of the Congressional Leadership Fund, which is the big Republican super PAC, wrote a memo uh, earlier this year where he basically said the entire point of this election from the Republican perspective is Nancy Pelosi and the tax bill. And simply put, he said, if we can't convince people that this tax bill cuts their taxes and is a good thing, we cannot win. In the last two weeks of this election, the Congressional Leadership Fund has not aired a single ad on the tax bill after basically spending the entire month of February yeah, airing totally ads on the tax bill. And it's just, they've just really? moved away from yeah. it. And I think it's because a, they've Because it's not working. So because if they you, moved to sanctuary cities because that's yeah. the only hope of saving the seat. So Republicans are saying this is because they're just trying to turn out the base. But the implication of that is that, well, your signature issue doesn't turn out your base, which isn't a good situation to find yourselves in. And when you look at some of the public I'm, polling... I'm not surprised that that complicated tax bill... Is going to get people's juices flowing. It's it's not yeah. A, a I mean, real I think red meat issue. They I mean, have they have good it's messaging, improved, on but it. it's still losing yeah. for them. Yeah, yeah. Huh. and it's it's improved, but it's still losing overall. And it's just a hard. It's hard for both parties. A lot of people have said the Democrats don't have a message. I think the Democrats do have some pretty good messages. It's just hard for any of these messages to break through the din of Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, you can talk all you want about the tax bill, and Donald Trump even talked yeah. about it a bit on Saturday night. That's not nearly as interested as him joking about wanting to be president for life or any of the other stuff he's going to say at one of these rallies. Yeah. So it's just very hard for them to stay on message mm. when there's so much other stuff happening, most of it reflecting poorly on the president. Right. So it, it, whether it's 60-40 or 50 whatever, I mean, uh, I, I find it hard to uh, comprehend what are going to be the 
what what the what these midterms are going to be based on. I mean, you know, we all thought like maybe DACA would be it, or maybe mm-hmm. gun safety would be the big issue, or the economy, or is it just a referendum on Donald Trump? Yes, I, full stop. Really, I think that like particular issues are going to inflame particular people. Particular races are going to bend a little bit more around quirks of the district, quirks of the candidates. This is going to be about Donald Trump. Yeah, full stop. As, you know, everybody said 2010 was about Obamacare. 2010 was about Obama. It was about Obama's coalition not coming out and the Republicans being furious about what was going on. And this I think we're seeing a mirror image of what happened there. The map is much tougher for Democrats, especially on the Senate side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But this is, especially when we're talking about the House, it's a referendum because nobody knows who their House nominee is. Like nobody cares, frankly. And, you know, even especially in these suburban districts where it can be – you know, a million dollars a week for TV ads, like, there's just not going to be that well-known, that well-defined the candidate. You can basically have one introductory spot that people remember. Mm-hmm. And so the Senate side is a little more personality-driven. It can be mm-hmm. a little quirkier, um, and the governor's races especially. But when we're talking about control of the House, it's all about Donald Trump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is more or less a referendum on Donald Trump. You're going to see Democrats are going to try to win over some voters who do like Trump using health care in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to be – they've made it very clear that that's yeah. their number one issue. Republicans yeah. are going to try to win over some voters who don't like Donald Trump by using the tax cut. And that's – those are basically the three things that we're really going to see fights about. And some – again, it's like in some states you're going to see some quirkier fights. Like in Montana, I expect a bunch of fighting about public lands, which isn't an issue that's really going to come up on the radar yeah. anywhere right. else. Um, but – you know, those particularly Trump and then those are sort of the two side issues that the sides have chosen. Right. Have now, taxes. not much time left, but I, this is a pet peeve of mine I wanted to mention. I uh, can do a little bit. So the um, maybe it happened so much under the radar, you're not aware that the Democratic National Committee was in town this weekend for mm-hmm. their big uh, annual or biannual confab. Mm-hmm. And um, they had this report in front of them mm-hmm. on the changes to the Democratic primary process that was mm-hmm. going to make it a more level playing field, which we didn't mm-hmm. see the last time, particularly because of superdelegates. Yeah. So they passed a resolution. This, this is what they did on superdelegates. They passed a resolution say they are going to examine the perceived influence mm-hmm. of superdelegates. Boy, what a bold <laughs> move. Perceived influence. I mean, who are they kidding Superdelegates I mean, have a influence. real influence <laughs> yeah. on who gets nominated. Yep. Yeah. We saw that the last time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They cannot get rid of this or shake this. I don't know why. It's uh, been it's been interesting. I was at one of so they sort of had a commission that is now going yes, to the committee. That, I was at a few of those commission meetings and they basically ended up agreeing on a plan that would eliminate, I believe, forty percent of the superdelegates. Right. Yeah. Right. That's then, what was presented to the DNC, yeah. which didn't accept that. They decided to study it further. They decided to study it further. And I believe there was also a long debate during this that um, they were either arguing whether the text should say reduce the number of superdelegates or reduce or eliminate the number of superdelegates. Mm-hmm. And they apparently spent about 20 minutes or so arguing about whether reduce inherently contains the possibility of eliminating. And this, so this is the type of thing that the DNC spends a lot of time arguing about, and I think any campaign committee spends a lot yep. of time arguing about. Um, but it's just, yeah, this is uh, so, an amazing so they did fight that it's still going on. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that people tend to get a little overly bent out of shape about super delegates. I actually don't think it, you know, oh, the the evil backroom like smoky mm-hmm. uh, room, like I, I, 
there, I mean, the but, DNC went really poorly because Russia dropped a bunch of emails. But, I mean, you look at the DNC versus the RNC. The RNC had a lot more fights, and, and it could have been a lot worse for them because of a lack of superdelegates. So, I, you know, I, I think it's, you know, the power of the people always sounds great. I actually think it's kind of important for the parties to have a little bit of control over what they do. Um, I no, that's probably not a popular opinion in the studio or, or with many on the left. But nope. uh, we did wrong. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't think I, I think there's arguments on both sides. Uh, for this. I, I'm willing to give the superdelegates a seat. Of course, they've earned it. You know, senators and reduce the number seems reasonable. But I just think they a reduced number and they and they should um, most of them have to follow the will of the people. God forbid. That's a pretty radical idea. <laughs> uh, what a great conversation. Thank you both. Kevin great at Politico, Politico.com. And of course, Cameron Joseph. At talkingpointsmemo.com. That's it for us today. Have a great day, folks. Come back and see us again tomorrow. The Bill Press Show.